having a citizenship that's not predetermined by where you're born is an actual next step. And uh, yeah, so Polymia is going to be the first country on the internet. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the only one. You know, we're in early stage conversations still um, about the the next steps, but uh, we're we're creating a plan to get to a passport. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 101 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. I am very excited because my guest today is none other than Sarah Sandness, the co-founder and CTO of Safety Wing. Safety Wing is one of the only health insurance providers specifically for digital nomads and remote workers. Insurance, however, is not the only thing that Safety Wing does. Their end goal is to continue creating more services for nomads in order to create a larger social safety net for global citizens. This includes things like maternity leave, pensions, and much more. Their latest initiative is Plumia, which is the first digital country with which they hope to create the first globally recognized passport not based on a country with borders. During this interview, I got to ask Sarah about her background and how she got involved with tech and what eventually drove her to start Safety Wing with her co-founders. We discuss how COVID-19 affected their business and how they responded to the pandemic. And finally, we of course discuss Plumia and what their plan is for creating a new country and why they're so passionate to do so in the first place. Now, before we dive into this episode, I do want to take a second and let you know about my new community, Six Figure Nomad, which is now open. You can learn more about the community and join by going to thatremotelife.com forward slash six figures. That's six figures all spelled out. I started Six Figure Nomad because I believe that more knowledge is not what's keeping you from building a successful business. Like Derek Sivers, the founder of CD Baby once said, if more knowledge is what you needed, we would all be billionaires with six pack abs. Instead, I believe that what you need to learn is how to actually put that knowledge to work. That's why Six Figure Nomad is based on case studies of real online businesses just like the one you want to build. World-renowned business schools like Harvard use case studies just like these to give their students an under-the-hood look of how real businesses operate and how their founders grew them. These case studies also present students with the problems these businesses are currently facing so that they get the chance to practice their problem-solving skills, which all entrepreneurs need in their journey. As a member of Six Figure Nomad, you will have the chance to review case studies of location-independent businesses that are generating $100,000 or more. You'll get to learn how the founder started their business, how they grew their revenue, and what the critical turning points in their business were. You'll also learn what their biggest challenges at the moment and get the opportunity to, dec- to discuss possible solutions to those challenges with other members of Six Figure Nomad on our regular live calls. So if you are ready to put your skills and knowledge to work and finally build the lifestyle business of your dreams, then head on over to thatremotelife.com forward slash six figures. That's six figures all spelled out and sign up. Currently, we are running an amazing early adopter special that ends at midnight on January 31st, at which point the price is going to go up drastically. So don't sleep on this. Head on over to thatremotelife.com forward slash six figures and sign up today. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. You can find all the show notes and resources we mentioned during the interview at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 101. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 101. All right, without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Sarah Sandness from safetywing.com. All right, Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, over here. I'm a little bit jealous. I got to be honest. You said you're in LA and I'm over here freezing my butt off in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I'm a little bit jealous, but you must not be like too bothered by the cold. Cause I know that you were born and grew up in Norway. So are you like, are you in the cold friends or did you move to LA to escape the cold? Uh, I moved to LA from New York and weather is definitely a part of the reason. Um, that being said, yeah, Norway's cold, but New York has the absolute worst winters I've ever experienced. Really? Yeah. Worse it's than just, Norway? Yeah. I mean, Norway's a little bit colder, but Norway's not as moody and we just kind of, we handle it really well. It's like, we have a whole culture surrounding it. I mean, we have winter for like five months every year, so uh you know what do you mean you have a what is like the culture like what is i'm now i'm curious because i hate winter so anyway you can help me with this culture (laughs) i'm excited yeah i mean it's cozy uh you know and uh big culture for skiing going skiing going on trips up to you know cabins in the in the mountains and you know drinking cocoa fireplace dress well we have a Norwegian expression that's like, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, except in Norwegian. Mm, I've heard that before. Yeah, it rhymes in Norwegian. <laughs> we won't judge you. If you hadn't yeah. told us, we wouldn't have known. Yeah, exactly. But those the Norwegians that hear it will know this. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I mean, we are not afraid to really put on a lot of clothes when we leave the house. Another thing is just like plowing and roads and, and you know, putting salt and, and gravel and on the on the road so that it's not slippery everywhere is another thing. Just like immediately, you know, within the hour, mm-hmm. it's, it's happening in Norway. If it starts snowing, it's just like, we got, we got it. You know, subways don't stop running. Schools don't shut down. Right, because you know what's up. Yeah, it's yeah. like when, uh, you know, there's like the joke that, you know, in northern cities in the U.S., you never get snow days as a kid because it's like, this is what you signed up for. Yeah. No snow days. You just figure it out. Wow. It like there's a tiny little bit of snow that falls on the ground in Georgia and like the whole state shuts down. You know? So <laughs> I, I totally understand. Um, but yeah. So how did you you grew up in Norway? And at what point did you because the reason why we're having you on is you're the CTO and co-founder of Safety Wing. So I'm super excited to talk to you about that. Um, like I said, before we started recording, you guys have done a lot of amazing stuff for the remote community, for the digital nomad community. So I'm really excited to touch on that. Um, but before we kind of roll into that, how did you become interested in technology in the first place? I mean, I think I had a pretty standard way into that, like many other people, which is like just computers and video games and just being obsessed with them when I was a kid. Um, and just like, it's going into studying computer science from being, you know, like a video game nerd is, is a pretty natural path and, and you know, com- computers. So, uh, yeah, I got my first Nintendo for my sixth birthday, I think. And, you know, and then it's just like a nonstop gamer. And then we got, got our first computer when I was 12 or 13. Um, and then I was just like on the computer, either playing games or surfing the internet or, you know, torrenting. Or, or that's not even what we called it back then. It was like, you know, Napster, LimeWire, yeah. whatever we were doing, you know, and I started drawing um, manga characters. Yes, I was <laughs> very nerdy uh, in Microsoft Paint, of all things. And then the first thing I did, like technology wise, was that I built my website to be able to share those manga drawings. How did you how did you build it at the time? Because now it's easy, right? You go to yeah, yeah. Squarespace or whatever. How did you build it at the exactly. time? Yeah, no, then then I you know, was coding in Notepad, literally writing code oh. in Notepad. Um, it was not a pretty site, but it was scrollable. And I was, yeah, 13 at the time. And that was my first like, endeavor with technology and became more advanced from that, of course. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, like I was always ambitious, if I can say that. It's kind of cheesy, but... But, you know, like always imagine myself having like a career and like, yeah. Uh, and I knew I wanted to go to university. Um, and I imagine like I imagine myself studying finance. I also knew that I wanted to be, uh, have my own company. Uh, mm. And I just thought that like economics or finance is what you study if you want to have a serious career. And then so I had like all my nerd interests, but that's what I, that's what I imagined I would do as like a career. And then at some point I was like, wait, computer science is like, you, is that something you don't study just for fun? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was a very obvious choice when I realized that that was like a legit career path. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And 
yeah, some people love it and some people don't. I also I studied math and um, yeah, really fell in love with coding and programming immediately. It's a very, very creative process. It's like you get to be in the zone for a long time. Uh, I'm that kind of person that likes, I enjoy that getting sucked into something and being stuck in there or just being in that zone for hours. And coding is like, I've never encountered anything quite as uh, like, that has a strong yeah, suction that like coding. sucks you in that way yeah mm. producing music is a little bit the same way <laughs> yeah Pro do you do, do you do any of that yes i'm not good i never got to like you know coding they say that you take like ten thousand hours to become an expert at something mm -hmm. and i'm like way beyond that on coding on music production i'm probably like i don't know maybe 50 hours in so <laughs> um, yeah i uh I thought for a little while there that I, I wanted to also get into web development because I love, I don't, so I didn't have the same childhood where I was a gamer, but I never really like crossed. I think people that are gamers are just about to like spit at me if I said that I'm a gamer, but like, I never really crossed that threshold of like, I enjoy playing video games that let me figure out what makes them tick. Like I was like, no, I'm just going to play these video games and enjoy yeah, yeah. them. But I did at one point want to learn to be a web developer and I started training at an agency and I'm totally with you. It even though I'm not somebody who should be coding, it it's not how like my mind works. It totally does suck you in. There's these moments mm -hmm. where I think it's like the right amount of like it's not so hard that you need to like bang your he head against the wall, but it's this like it's challenging, but it's fun because you can figure it out. Like when that overlap of like challenging but easy like crosses over you get into that flow with coding and like you're mm -hmm. off like five hours later you wake up you know yeah yeah no exactly so, it's just like time just flies you said that you're a gamer so i'm curious to hear your opinion on this and then we'll we've got plenty of time to talk about the safety wing stuff but how do you feel about what's been happening esports because I have gotten really like I've watched maybe a few things online in terms of esports, but I love the idea. Like it's like the sports for digital nomads in a way, right? Like our whole life revolves digitally, so you, our sports might as well be digital as well. How do you feel about everything that's happening in esports? Um, I like full disclaimer. I was never, I never played racing games. I never played sports games. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. other than as socially. So it's, that's not really, I'm, I'm like a super like campaign person. That's, that's how I game. I know it's that mm. game, not even online playing. Um, so you never played like any of those like Dota or any of those other games that tiny bit of Star playing. Tiny bit of StarCraft is what, what I played, but uh, mm. never competitively. Like it was mainly campaign and then I tried it out and then, yeah. Um, I love playing campaigns. And then when I'm done with campaign, uh, if it was a great game, then I feel very empty and sad for a few days. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and then I wait until there's another Raider game that I love. Also, I used to game a lot more when I was younger um, than I do now. Like up until yeah, when I went through university, I was still gaming a lot. But then when I started working, I became you know now I won't be gaming occasionally. Sure. So how did you go from you know obviously you said you were studying in university and you were studying coding and you know you already had a little bit of an idea that you wanted to be an entrepreneur like you said. So walk me through how, like, how did you end up starting Safety Wing? Like, how did those things click together? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, my original idea of, to just, to just give the whole story, my original idea of starting my own company, I think, started, yeah, I was probably, like, yeah, 10, 13, some, I mean, early, like, very young. Uh, but that was more just, like, my own realization of my personality. Just doesn't, I'm, like, not good with authorities. And uh, and uh, want to do, like to do things my own way, uh, and I just realized that um, starting a company or or at least working independently is uh, going to be better for me. Even though I mean I've had lots of jobs, so it's, I mean I'm not incapable, but like I, I thrive uh, when I get to work more independently. Um, and uh, uh, then that's something that I always knew that I want to do. I'm also like pretty. I have very. Uh, I'm not very risk averse. I'm very, yeah, I seek risks and not in mm -hmm. like, not in extreme sports, but like career choices to moving around those kinds of things. So, uh, my fear is not of risks. My fear is of stagnation. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, people just have different ways, the different things that triggers their fear. And for me, that's stagnation. And, um, I, uh, and then I, I did the stand 
route kind of studying computer science in university um and uh, then got my first job which was kind of an extension of university where I was working as a consultant to further learn to code um and then when I felt I was good enough to take on more responsibility I took a job in London working as a lead engineer for a startup there called TapTac which was super fun super challenging uh very very technical role um doing a lot of fun algorithm work and building out the architecture on the back end there uh it was awesome um but then eventually it was like, okay, now it's time. I got to start my own company. I didn't have like a specific thing in mind. So I just, uh, yeah, left, uh, had a little bit of savings and became a digital nomad while kind of figuring out this next step while also working on my music. So that's like another little part of, another part of me. Um, but yeah, and during this time started uh, a couple of projects um, and one of them was Safety Wing. And that's the one. So you started just, it while you were nomading, so to say? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I, and then I ended up in New York where I ended up staying. Um, and uh, yeah, we, uh, we were working then, you know, like it started with like eight hours a week and then suddenly it was 16 hours a week and then suddenly it was full time. Um, and then we got into Y Combinator, the startup mm. accelerator. And uh, then it was, a lot more than full-time and we've just like it, yeah going through Y Combinator is kind of like strapping a, a jetpack and just like or you just start running and you never stop it's like just really speeds things up and uh, that's been my life ever since and, so uh, what made you um, because you, you have a technical background and one of the things that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole in terms of business is the health the medical world because I mean medical insurance is just a nightmare. So what made you feel like, I know that you said that you weren't very risk averse, that you're, that you're pretty comfortable with the risky things, but still what made you say like, you know what, we can do this. Like we can solve this problem. Yeah. Um, definitely pretty insane. I never, I never saw myself as someone that would ever end up in the insurance industry. That's not like when I wasn't aiming for the insurance industry when we were starting safe doing, it was more solving a really big problem. Um, and yeah, as a digital nomad, I saw this problem, you know, like, okay, I'm from Norway, but I'm not really attached to Norway anymore. And, you know, we were born, I was born and, and raised there and we have a great social safety net, never really like scared of anything. Um, and, uh, I actually had cancer back when I was 18 and went through the health system there. And, uh, you know, I mean, cancer kind of sucks, but I had a great experience, you know, like I was so well taken care of. There was never... It was never on my mind, but then, you know, I imagine being somewhere else or not being connected to a system as good as Norway, then that's just kind of like where you are, where you're from will depend your, you know, your outcome will, will mm -hmm. decide your outcome in that kind of situation. Um, so it's just kind of feeling that um, and w just thinking like, why isn't it just available globally? Like I'm willing to pay for it. Uh, I'm paying for it. Like when I'm in Norway, I'm paying for it. It's just a percentage of my income. Um, and there's no reason why it can't work globally for people that are, you know, global, globally minded, globally oriented. Uh, sure. and yeah, at the same time, my co-founder, Sandre was, um, uh, he'd started a company, uh, a freelancer platform and, um, uh, they, they also had that, you know, they had tons of freelancers all over the world and, you know, had this thing where they were finding the top freelancers in the world um, and, you know, wanted to retain them and offer them benefits. And then it's like, wait, there are no global benefits available. This is a nightmare. And it should be there. You know, we're not the only freelance global freelancer platform out there or global company. Um, so yeah, we just uh, then decided to solve that problem of building a global social safety net, mm. um, which isn't just health insurance. It's also, uh, you know, disability insurance and income protection, like when you get sick or maternity, those kinds of things. Um, so, uh, yeah, we just started out with, as kind of like experts at our problem rather than, uh, experts on the area we needed to touch upon to find a solution. Um, and sometimes, you know, to come up with, with good solutions, you need to be like on the outside, right? Like one of the yeah. issues is that everybody trying to solve the medical insurance problem mm -hmm. has been in medical insurance for years and it's really difficult yeah. to come up with new ideas and you sometimes need to come out. I mean, I think that's been the case for a lot of these like Silicon Valley unicorns is that like 
they come out of left field. They're not experts, but they come in and they kind of like look at the problem and solve it from a new perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we definitely see that, that um, it's hard for established people in the insurance industry to think the same way that we do, especially in terms of like simplifying things and making it easy for users and, you know, removing options. Like I just bought car insurance and uh, car insurance has not gone through this, this whole thing. And it's like, Luckily, I know quite a bit about insurance at this point, but it's like <laughs> you got all you the know. connections, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like I just understand the form where I'm like choosing the different things. But it's like most people just want, you know, a few clicks and just have something that works and that's good. They don't want to spend like hours researching. I'm just like if I never bought, if I never bought insurance before, I didn't know about insurance. I would probably it probably would have taken me like a week to buy that car insurance, you know, because I would have had to do so much research. Mm. Um, and that's not what people want, you know, like a customers just want something that works. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we also also to mention that we have a third co-founder, Hans, whose uh, background is a lawyer and, and has worked in the financial industry. So he's used to working with like re- in a regulated industry. And um, and that that is that is the problem with insurance, you know, like insurance in itself is kind of like a fun and interesting concept of, you know, it's just like a lot of people are sharing risks, they're putting money into a pot and then there's a list of conditions that can give you uh, that that will give you you know money uh, if it happens, um, mm. uh, or it will pay the bills if, if the the things on that list happens. And uh, that then itself is not that complicated. But then the complicated part is how regulated it is and like how different countries have different laws. Um, and that, that's kind of the challenge we're we're working on with with safety link as the all the regulations. But uh, it's just like yeah, uh, one at a time and working with partners and. And having partners that have already done that groundwork and, you know, we put our products on top of kind of like the, you know, the legal back end that they've built up over time. And, and uh, you know, over time, we take over more and more of the legal back end. And, and that's kind of how, how you build mm. a startup in the, in the insurance industry. And at this point, we're pretty well versed in insurance. I'm even a licensed agent in, in the States now. It's, oh, uh, wow. That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> so why should, I know there's several other health insurance providers that um, offer some some type of global insurance. Mm-hmm. Why should people, like, what is the kind of thing that makes you guys different? Like, why should somebody listening who's a digital nomad consider you guys and what do you guys do differently than some of the other, like, companies out there? Yeah, um, like I mentioned, it's that uh, we're focusing on on simplifying. So, I mean, I would say that there, there are two things. It's like, where we are right now how we compare and then there's also like where what does everything look like in you know two years five years and uh, and who like what kind of journey do you want to be part of as, as a customer um and uh, yeah where we are right now is we have two products that are live and one that's that's coming live um over the next couple of months um so right now we have a travel medical insurance and a global health insurance um, what is the uh, difference between those? Yeah, I was just okay. about to get into that, <laughs> uh, which is uh, uh, with the travel medical insurance, the ideal situation if you have something to fall back on in your home country. Mm. Um, uh, if you get something serious like, you know, MS or something like that, uh, that's not something you can just like, you can't get that treated over time on your travel insurance policy. Uh, then you will, you know, you will go to the hospital and you will have some symptoms and you will get that initial thing and, and then you will be sent home, right? Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, same goes for cancer, those kinds of things. But um, uh, uh, but with health insurance, you know, then you're covered as if you had uh, full coverage. Um, so it just depends on your, your situation. Um, uh, also, obviously, because of, you know, a health insurance needs to cover you for, for anything long term. A health insurance is more expensive. Um, so that's another uh, other big difference. Um, but both will cover you if something happens. It's just that the mm-hmm. health insurance uh, um, is more for those that don't have anything other to fall back gotcha. on. Gotcha. It's more um, like a base, like a full one, as opposed yeah. to the travel one is more like what you'll see a lot of other travel companies, uh, travel insurance companies do where it's like, Hey, if you get like really, really banged up in Thailand, you're going to get shipped back to the U.S. where your normal U.S. health insurance will take over. Is that correct? Yeah, typically. Um, 
I mean, exactly. Like for if it's like a long, you know, you will you will get you know the surgeries you need. Anything acute uh, will, will happen. But you know, if there's like a, a year long rehabilitation program that happens afterwards, that's not something that's typically covered under gotcha. travel medical. Policy. And does the travel medical does that also? Because I know for a lot of people like myself, one of the really important things is to have like a total interest. Because I know there's some other companies out there that do things like. Hey, if your laptop gets stolen, for example, mm -hmm. or stuff like that, is that something that's also included or does it focus just specifically on the medical? Uh, so currently that's definitely, um, uh, one thing that's coming in the, this year, uh, Q2 or Q Q3, uh, is the items insurance right now. We only cover, um, items if they're in, uh, lost checked luggage. Uh, like mm. we don't cover theft or if you if you drop it or anything like that. But we are working on having that as an add-on. Um, yeah, optional add-on. Uh, definitely focus on on the medical policy. But we do also have some travel things. Like for example, when COVID happened, like we had thousands of people that were flying home. Um, so uh, that that was covered. So you bring up COVID, and one of the things that I want to talk about here was obviously this was something that was unexpected, something that happened and was kind of. You guys are almost in like, if you can think about the worst industries to be in with this, it's like travel and medical. And you guys are yeah. kind of like overlap of those. So I'm sure yeah. that wasn't a fun experience. But one of the things I actually have a friend who um, has safety wing. And one of the things that he kind of happened was that he was assuming that he'd be covered under it. And then there were some issues that happened. And I know that's happened with like one or two other people. What exactly happened there? Because I know you guys there was a situation where you guys couldn't cover people under COVID or during COVID, but then afterwards you launched something with which they could be covered. Mm -hmm. And so what happened there? Like, why wasn't this something that was covered under like their regular, the, the medical insurance? Yeah, it's, it's very common and typical for travel policies to have exclusions for pandemics. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, typically pandemics are not global, <laughs> you know, like like the Zika virus, for example, right. that would have been something like get out of the area where they where there's Zika. But this was a very special situation because suddenly it was like, get out of every country whatsoever. Right. right, right. Um, yeah. So and we yeah, like most other policies have a, a had a, a somewhat of a pandemic explosion like ours in particular followed. Um, the CDC, they have like a, a list of countries where there's like a, a warning level attached to it, which is level one to three. And then if it reaches level three, um, then uh, you're no longer covered if you go to that country that has a level level three. Um, and you also have 10 days to get out of that country. <laughs> uh, so, so if it was Zika and that happened in Thailand, uh, I can't remember exactly where the Zika virus happened but let's say it was thailand um mm. then you know you have 10 days to go to vietnam you know <laughs> or or something like that but now it was you know you had 10 days to get home uh and if when the global warning happened like it started it was it started with you know china and then it was china and italy and you know like and but suddenly it was the whole world like a month later um yeah and you guys because you guys aren't actually providing the insurance right you essentially I don't know the, the specific terminology for this, but essentially you underwrite or you, there's another company that's providing the insurance and you guys sort of package it, correct? So was this something where they told you guys like, hey, we can't cover this? Um, is that how kind of how it went? Uh, yeah, you have the underwriter um, that the, they decide, like they they approve the policy and create the policy and, and uh, will also determine who's covered or not. And then you have the whole legal structure on top um, and the legal structure is kind of where you can distribute. They have to follow all the rules of where you can sell it and everything like that. Um, and then you have us. So we, we create insurance products and then we go to people, like we go to the, the setups, uh, where other people have, um, have already done that groundwork of like, you know, the legal distributions, and then we get the product made and, you know, with the underwriters involved. Um, and then that product is, and then we, we get the exclusive right to sell that product. So you can't go to anyone else and buy the product that we are selling. You have to buy that through us. Um, you know, so the consequence of, of doing that is, you know, uh, so we, we have a smaller margin when we don't take as much of the risk, but mm -hmm. the product is still something you can only get through us. Uh, and you know, we have all the customer service attached to it and, and things like that. 
um, and uh, all the tech and you know the website and the user experience, all of that is on on our place. So um, there is only one one entry way, uh, and uh, it was already in the policy, the pre agreed upon policy document, right? Um, like it's it's a travel medical policy, and then we started with the travel medical policy, and then we added in some things that are like more di digital nomad specific, like you know home country coverage and and um, uh, you know the the uh, subscription feature or like the auto extension mm. feature, or, like made it completely flexible so that you can buy it and like stop it whenever you want, um, things like that. Um, uh, but and then you know yeah, uh, pandemic explosion seems reasonable when you're reading it. Uh, up until the global pandemic happened, uh, and it might, uh, you know, if it had been a different virus than COVID, it would have made sense to have everyone go home. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it is a special, you know, virus where it's like lethal. But, um, but you know, as long as people are quarantining and safe, it's like you don't have to go home and be with your family. You know, you can choose to quarantine somewhere else, and you know, everyone will hopefully survive and get through it if they're careful. Um, so uh, um, uh, we did end up. Uh, covering it you know like so it's kind of like you know imagine you, you can't really you know uh, start selling tornado insurance in the middle of a storm right um so it just takes a little while to figure out what are the risks uh before you can kind of calculate that so you know the price went up with like three dollars and mm -hmm. we, we covered and you know covered covid uh since august 1st so we stopped covering it mid-march and august 1st we we started covering it yeah. That being said, on the health insurance has been covered the whole time because that one doesn't have exclusions like that. I mean, with that one, you typically apply with your medical history, and then if it's approved, then you're covered for it. There, there are just a few exclusions like with extreme. Was that one available like before COVID, or was that something you guys launched post COVID? So we had only launched it for companies uh, pre COVID, uh, okay. um, and we hadn't even made a platform or anything. So what we did was we just like immediately made it available, but like people had to give us all that. We didn't have like online forms or anything mm -hmm. for that. Um, so uh, uh, we we got that a few months later, just like iteratively added, so that the people that were kind of stuck somewhere and really needed coverage, we were able to sell them that that insurance. Um, which is, you know, it's a, a health insurance policy is more of a commitment, like it's a year long contract and, and things like that. So, but, but it really uh, was the right decision for, for some people. How has COVID affected you guys? Not necessarily in terms of like the, the product and obviously from now on, everybody's going to be paying attention to like the pandemic mm -hmm. exclusions, at least like this next generation is always yeah, going to yeah. be like, Hey, remember that one time. So, yeah. but in terms of like, just as a company and maybe your direction, how has COVID affected you guys? Um, so for us, it's actually gone, it's, it's been going really well, I would say. Um, so first of all, I think we had a really good response. Like we're very responsive. A lot of, you know, we're, we're a very cost, customer oriented company. Like we mm -hmm. focus on customer service. We have it available 24 seven when COVID hit then like, so we were sending out like multiple emails to all our customers at once. And, uh, you know, I, you know, then, you know, I was in customer service. We had like tons of people on the team because, you know, it was just like so extreme every time we sent out to like sent, sent out like very, you know, serious information to thousands of people at once. And, and, uh, uh one thing was, you know, sending people home, we covered so that people could fly home the, the plane tickets, you know, and that's kind of like our customers were not the only ones in the world that were going home at that time. So it was like complete chaos mm -hmm. with getting, you know, planes and, a lot of changes that were made. Um, and uh, uh, so right when it was at its most intense, uh, I think we handled it really well and we we're very communicative with anyone that had any, like were scared or didn't know what was going on. Um, stressful, but we got through that well. And um, then we had a bit of a dip, you know, because a lot of people did go home, uh, but like compared to the industry, so, yeah, we we lost about thirty percent of our customers, uh, while the travel industry, travel insurance industry as a whole, lost about um, ninety percent or more yeah, than ninety. Like all of 90%, them, right? Yeah, because we are we have nomads. That's our that's our customer base, right? So so they're long term, and you know people choose to not go home. Um, and uh, uh, the then the health insurance went up, you know, because people were suddenly more concerned. Oh wait, you know, there's a pandemic going on. I I need to have a health insurance and. You know this covers that and and um uh another thing is that th that health insurance is tailored for remote teams and suddenly a lot of companies are going remote 
so um, yeah, considering that. And then when we started covering uh, COVID August 1st on the travel medical insurance, both of the products have just been uh, doing doing really well um, because there also aren't that many travel insurances that do cover it at this point still. So um, yeah, we uh, I think we handled well when it was at its worst and uh, uh, yeah, future is very bright. What about in terms of goals? Like has this experience in any way? And obviously like one of the things that we've been talking a lot about, not just on this podcast, but I think the media and a lot of other people have been talking about as a result of this um, pandemic is that like there's going to be an increase in remote workers and a percentage of those remote workers are likely going to become nomads, right? Like they're Mm going to be like, hey, this is pretty nice. Why don't I just do it from Thailand instead of from my house? So has it in any way changed like your goals or what you're planning on launching in the next year or, or in the future? Oh, very, for us, it's very much the same. It's just like awesome that, I mean, the pandemic's horrible, but uh, remote work is, uh, you know, a really good thing for the world, I think, in terms of like equal opportunity and and having companies be more remote friendly and, you know, being more open to hiring people from anywhere in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of like the, you know, the future that we are building our company based on is, you know, remote work or, or you know, location independence, uh, digital nomad digital nomadism. And uh, um, so that hasn't changed. We were just like, Brave. you know, I'm just happy that we gotten as far as we had when when this came, you know, even faster and than than we thought it would. Um, but yeah, we like it's yeah, it was just accelerated by ten years. You know, instead of being where we are right. now in ten years, we're there in twenty. You know, instead of twenty thirty one is twenty twenty one, and uh, yeah, uh, I have, I'm very optimistic. You know, once we just get like widespread vaccination and and everything, you know, I'm very optimistic about the future. So obviously you guys focus on, like you said, like you guys focus on nomads, like you're very Mm -hmm. specific, like this is our products are for digital nomads. Mm -hmm. And do you think that there is room, obviously you guys are doing well, but do you think that there is room for like the digital nomad, if we're going to think of like the digital nomad as a category of buyer, do you think that it's a big enough of a pool of people to support more of these services? Because Mm -hmm. it's something that, you know, for many years, we've been saying like, hey, it would be really great if we had this service or we had this Mm -hmm. service or we had that Mm -hmm. service, but there was never really enough people to make it feasible. Do you think the community is now large enough and sort of sustainable enough, I guess you can say, to support more of these services? Um, I definitely think that the the digital, like we can almost like, um, I think we're underestimating how large it is. But uh, that being said, it's not we're not only focusing on like digital nomads it's more of a uh we we also focus on remote teams that may or may not be living in their home country um and in future it's more of a you know building on this world that's more borderless like uh, me me for now i haven't like even though i'm I'm gone like almost half the year or i'm like i'm somewhere else half the year um i i'm not you know i have a I, i rent a place i have a car here just got a car don't even have a driver's license yet, but the you, yeah, uh, you can't live in that, LA yeah. and not have a car. Exactly. This is yeah. Like... yeah. So I just moved here, just got a car, getting a license like this month, and um, uh, yeah. So, uh, but I kind of, I still kind of think of myself like I would still prefer to work with like global solutions, so that mm-hmm. you know when I'm traveling and, and going places and and then I'm free to move or go wherever. Um, yeah, uh, and I feel like that's you know more so than necessarily having to move around all the time. It's just like about that sensation of being you know a global person, and mm-hmm. kind global of citizen. Yeah, global citizen yeah. is like a little bit cheesy, but yeah, it's what we have for now: digital nomad slash location independent slash just like being borderless. Um, yeah. Uh, so the segment is like bigger than just the people that define themselves as digital nomads, even though that's kind of the pioneers of this whole movement is, is digital nomads. But they've also, you know, they're kind of paving the way and, you know, dealing with like they're just choosing to live that way despite or we we are just choosing to live that way despite the the um, that it's complicated. You know, like you mm-hmm. just accept that you have to move every three months <laughs> and uh, and things like that. Yeah, I had um, Esther Jacobs on the podcast. I don't know if you've heard of her before. She's Dutch and she is kind of like the poster child for like 
hey, this is hard and no one is recognizing the fact of like how difficult it is to be a nomad because we all mm -hmm. kind of like go through the loopholes. But she had some notoriety in um, the Netherlands. And what happened with her is that she kind of like the Netherlands was like, hey, you can't be a citizen here anymore. And she was like, what do you mean I can't be a citizen here? So she has done a really good job. And if anybody's listening, if you want to check out that story, it's it's like the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. But um, so yeah, I've been like really excited about, obviously we've been seeing countries popping up that are offering nomad visas and, you know, Estonia led the way with that, but many more are doing it now. We're getting midterm rental platforms. So I'm really optimistic like yourself that I think even though the community has been big enough for a while, I think the rest of the world is all of a sudden now going like, oh, I think there's enough here for us to actually create a lot of these services. So I'm really looking forward to like what, in 10 years, five, 10 years, what we're going to have available. Um, I want to ask you about an interesting project that funny enough, I was talking about this with some friends and everybody was saying like, Mikko, you tend to come up with crazy ideas. This is definitely the craziest. And I had a couple of these conversations with friends and then I turn around and I read that you guys are launching a digital nomad country called Plumia. And it was crazy where I was like, sent it to my friends. I was like, see, I'm not insane. There's other people talking about this. So tell me about where did this come from? And like, what's the goal? Because that is a very big undertaking. So where did the idea come from? And why why go in this direction? Uh, I mean, yeah, I said that we started out doing a, building a global social safety net. But we, we've all, always talked about it as building a country on the internet. Like, that's how we mm -hmm. think about it. I mean, we, we basically... I mean, it's strange that we're like working in the insurance industry, but what we're really doing is, you know, we're trying to create a world where borders matter less and in particular mm -hmm. in terms of like what you have access to uh, of safety, like the most important things for you. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like obvious that we need a, a passport that isn't like predetermined by the, you know, geographical location where you're you were born, born yeah. which mm -hmm. is a very strange situation. I mean, and it's just like, I, I think that's starting to become pretty obvious with for people uh, and that a citizenship shouldn't, I mean, the, I think country like citizenships based on borders will also exist, but a lot of countries are, you know, more and more countries are opening up for dual citizenships and, and that, um, uh, yeah, having uh, having a citizenship that's not predetermined by where you're born is an actual next step. And uh, yeah, so Polymia is going to be the first country on the internet. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the only one. Um, and we are, yeah, we're uh, the safe doing is part of the people taking the initiative to to create this. And um, yeah, it's uh, very exciting. It's uh, you know we're early stage conversations still um, about the the next steps, but uh, we're we're creating a plan to get to a passport. So what is going to be the difference between like what you guys are doing now versus like what is going to be like the first thing that maybe Plumia does? Like what are you guys doing in there at the moment that you know yeah. people can get excited about or if anybody wants to check out? Like what exactly are you guys doing inside of Plumia at the moment? Uh, yeah, so Plumia is uh, we're we're mainly funding it. It's uh, uh, we're still working on the exact whether it's going to be a company or a nonprofit, but it's not going to be you know under say it's not going to be a safety wing country right um it's uh it's an initiative on its own to create the passport the global passport and and it's it's more people are involved and uh um uh yeah but we're you know happy to provide a social safety net and um uh for this new country and uh, uh contribute in any way we can with you know our connections and, and gathering people and uh yeah uh, everyone who's who's part of this is you know helping out with, with their connections and finding, you know, the, the right things to create the, the group good next steps. So are you hoping that this is going to be something where like one day somebody can like get off a flight and when they get to the border, they're going to present their Plumia passport? Like what's like the end goal for this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it's very strange how the right now, like what determines which countries you have access to is where you were born. Um, uh, yeah, at uh, Y Combinator, I met, met this guy. I was from Kyrgyzstan, and uh, he was working at Google in Ireland. And like, he had to witness like all of his friends just like hopping around Europe and going on trips all the time, and he just couldn't because his visa was only valid in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and it's just like so. You know, like why is his? You know, he was just as like nice of a guy. 
just as much of a or like just as much of a criminal as in terms of like not being a criminal at all right as, right, right. as like all his friends that he was working with and uh and it's just like an absurd situation um and and we yeah so yeah that's like uh, citizenship is is not something you're born with it's something that you choose and you can earn um yeah just like i mean in the states we have tsa pre-check you know for example right. like global entry those kinds of things and yeah. Well, it's a it's really an antiquated idea because it makes sense when your economic income, right, is tied to your, ge- your geographic location, right? So when there were people like, for example, I'm Eastern European, I was born in Bulgaria. A lot of Bulgarians left Bulgaria at a point because there was no money, right? So they went yeah. to places like Germany, France, Spain, because they could earn a lot more money there. Mm-hmm. And so that made sense. But now this idea of your friend being stuck in Ireland, I guess the idea was because like, hey, this is where the passport was, but they don't want him going to other places and impacting, you know, like that's where he was allowed to go because they thought if he went somewhere else, he would go elsewhere or try to escape elsewhere illegally because there'd be more economic benefit. Now with remote work, who cares, right? Like you can be working for an American company and be living in, you know, Turkestan or, you know, wherever you want to be. So it just doesn't really make sense anymore. It's a, it's, and as more and more people enter the remote workforce and this sort of, you know, um, non physical labor workforce, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it really is, I do agree. It's an antiquated idea of these borders and you can go to this country cause we don't mm-hmm. think you're going to escape, but to this one, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. The, and uh, yeah, we, it's natural. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people our age agree that mm-hmm. this is just a natural progression and, and it's kind of the the old system is a, is a legacy system and uh, anyway, safe doing can help with contribute to the future that is, uh, that where there's, there are global citizenships or, or citizenships mm-hmm. that are not tied to where you're born. Um, uh, yeah, we will. So looking forward, you know, you said that you guys have some new exciting things coming out in Q2, Q3, like the, I mm-hmm. think you said it was the the item sort of insurance. Yeah. With it being the beginning of a new decade, um, mm-hmm. what is the thing that you're hoping that in 10 years, in 2031, when we look back, what are the things that Safety Wing, you know, would have done in that, in the next 10 years? I mean, definitely contributed to, you know, making citizenships uh, something that you choose. That is the, the number one thing and, and equal opportunities. Um, building a, a comprehensive safety net, like where, where it's uh, a membership. So that's, we have health insurance and child medical insurance now, and then working on disability insurance and income protection and, and uh, pension savings. Um, so, and one thing, you know, pensions is interesting because that's also some, something that I think will change a lot. Um, because there's a big difference between retiring in San Francisco and retiring in Thailand, right? Right. Uh, so instead of having necessarily like a target age, so right now it's like they they do they the existing pension systems assume that you will you know work and retire in the same place uh, mm-hmm. or get your paycheck, you know, so that it's like it's balanced based on that paycheck. And then we have, you know, so in Norway there's a certain chunk of your income, you know, and then when you're 65 or 67 or whatever it is now. Uh, then you can get, you know, what you save back plus some extra or, yeah. And, um, um, uh, but what if you, you know, work with a, you know, New York level salary and you live in Thailand and you want to retire there, uh, right. you know, you can probably retire at like 35. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you could set that target then at the different age. So, so that's something that's interesting and hopefully we can contribute to, to that and, and also maybe, maybe making like pensions more of an interesting thing. Cause it's not, you know, for me, I mean, obviously I'm a founder and I'm like very dedicated <laughs> to what I'm doing, but, um, yeah, you know, not needing to work, but you know, you can choose whether, you know, people, if you retire at 35 or 40 or 45 or 50, you know, you're just younger than, you know, 70. Um, and even after 70 for, for those that do that, but you know, you, you still have a lot of energy to, to, uh, you know, do what you really want to do. Um, whether that's like pursuing creative endeavors or starting a company, you know, which might be, you know, which is easier to do when you have money to fall back on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, some, that, that's definitely, you know, uh, pensions and, you know, the way we, we, uh, we live our lives, you know, like our working years, or maybe people just will take sabbaticals every, you know, three years, four years. Um, yeah. 
and equal opportunity, just in general, contributing to to equal opportunities and and remote work. You know, making remote work more established, um, making internet globally available. And yeah, are you uh, are you pumped about the whole Elon Musk uh, global internet pursuit? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, uh, I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be yeah. like once that happens and you yeah. can just like actually, you know, hang out in different places and be remote, yeah. I think that's going to be mm-hmm. a huge game changer. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean, I think like that that thing that we're kind of, you know, I grew up, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a millennial, I would call us, which we are the first generation to grow up with, with the internet. And now we have like the Gen Z that are the first generation to grow up with social media like that's something that came later in my life and it was like fascinating I remember it when it came more so than yeah I mean the internet's obviously developed but I grew up with it being there and I think the next one is just going to be yeah remote work it's, it's a complete revolution it's just a complete mm-hmm. change um and uh the world is just going to look completely different you know the way it looked different 10 years ago and there was no social media and it looked different 20 years ago and when or 30 years ago when there was no internet and um uh yeah it's gonna look completely different 10 years from now with with uh everyone being you know being part of remote work and in some extent like like obviously there would be local jobs but then you know the people that are there might be working remotely so yeah for Mm -hmm. sure well sarah um thank you so much i really appreciate that you came on and i'm really excited for everything that you guys are doing over at safety wing like uh, i said earlier I'm really, really excited for Plumian to see where that goes and everything else that you're doing. If anybody is listening and is interested to check out your products and is interested in the health insurance, where can they go to find out more about that? Yeah, safetywing.com. So whenever we have our products, we also have some links to some other projects that we have there, like building remotely, where we have like a blog that's eventually going to become a book, and we have we have our own podcast about uh, building our building and scaling a remote company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, also have some COVID resources and things, uh, and you can read about them by our insurance on our website. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to hopefully meeting up sometime, not during COVID. That'd be great. 